So seventh uh, church, the last church of the book of Revelation, Jesus, remember, is writing to those that he loves. And he has good and hard things to say uh, to, to the churches. Uh, some hear only good, some hear only hard, and some hear a mixture of both. So here we are during finals week. How are you all doing going into finals week? Do you have the right assessment of your grades? What, what if you believe you have an A in the class and the final doesn't matter, but in actuality, in your professor's grade book, you're failing the class and the final really matters to you? Your self-assessment, your assessment of your grades really matters. Having a a right assessment of yourself really matters. Same thing going into a a job review, right? Uh, What if you think you've been doing a great job, but you get into into your uh, performance review and your annual performance review, and your boss has has some different things to say? Seeing yourself and your needs for what they are what they really are, is the key to success. And, and, and Jesus is writing through John to his churches, and now he's writing to the church of Laodicea. How, how many of you have ever heard of the church of Laodicea in Revelation? Yeah. Well, if you've read it before, you know that this church uh, is lukewarm. And, and mostly lukewarm things aren't good. God only had, Jesus only has to say hard things to this church. So here we are at the end of Jesus' love letters, and Laodicea is in trouble. Let's read Revelation 3, verse 14 through 22. And to the angel of the church of Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined from fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So here, the final letter to the churches, Jesus is confronting a church that's lukewarm. It's neither hot nor cold. But we must remember that Jesus is writing to his bride, Jesus is writing to people that he loves. Jesus is writing letters, as it were, from the front lines of the battle as a soldier 
imploring his lover to remain faithful and true and endure until the end of the war. So Jesus is telling his churches to remain faithful and true, endure to the end. Their lampstand has not been plucked out quite yet, and Jesus is saying, hang on, hang on to the end. And every church, most churches have something to commend and something to condemn, but here at the church of Laodicea, it has nothing to commend them. Jesus has nothing to commend them, just that they are neither hot nor cold. They're lukewarm. They're a lukewarm church. Those are hard words, but I want us to remember that these are words of someone who loves this church, who's given his life for this church and wants what's best for this church. So maybe you, you think of yourself and you think, maybe I'm a lukewarm Christian. These words are words of love to you that are sort of shaking you out of your lethargy and saying, listen, hear, don't be lukewarm, don't be hot or cold. Be, be either hot or cold, don't be lukewarm. And here's the message that Jesus has for his church, for his Christians that will hear, if you have an ear to hear, hear this. Bear, Jesus' message to this church and to us is to bear witness to Jesus by relying on Jesus and not self. Jesus is calling all of these churches and Laodicea to bear witness to him in the culture that they live in and particularly to the church at Laodicea is by relying on Jesus and not self. So what do you do if you're lukewarm? Bear witness to Jesus by relying on Jesus and not yourself. And these are the words in verse 14 of the, of the amen. The amen is an uh, uh, it's a agreement. Yes, I believe. Yes, whatever said is true. This is, these are the words of the faithful and true witness the beginning of God's creation. So here he is, the head of the church, the one who created all things. We could also say the originator of God's creation. Here he is at the beginning saying, I have some words for you, dear friend, dear church. Bear witness to me by relying on Jesus and not yourself. So being a lukewarm Christian or a Christian church I'm saying is actually to have the wrong assessment of yourself. What does it mean to be lukewarm? It's, I think it's to have the wrong assessment of yourself. Now, these words are from the faithful and true, and he says in verse 15, I know your works, you're neither cold nor hot. Would you that you were either cold or hot? So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. How do you know if you're lukewarm? Verse 17, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. The church at Laodicea, and just like us, we can deceive ourselves into thinking we're okay when we're actually not. Um, I think this verse, these verses have been misunderstood. Jesus' uh, words to us are to not be hot or cold, and some people have thought, well, Jesus would rather you be cold, just deny the gospel altogether, or hot, be on fire for the gospel. But I don't think that's what it's saying. And one of the reasons we don't think it's saying that is because 
uh, the example of the, the water in Laodicea. In Laodicea, the, the water was piped in from some hot springs, some, some miles away. And, and sometimes by the time it got to them, it was, it was lukewarm. It, 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 was, it was gross. It, was, it had some calcium deposits, and the way it affected your body is it would, it would make you vomit. And that's what the word spit out actually means. I'm going to vomit you out. It, it would make people actually vomit. It was, it was gross. Have any of you ever been to the, the Midwest, Oklahoma, Kansas? I'm the only lucky one. No, there's a few other of you lucky ones. If, you have, if you've had the water from the tap, you, you are, you're on your way to knowing what this means. The water in Laodicea, if you've had the water in the Midwest, it is disgusting. You can feel it in your mouth. You can feel the taste the minerals. And, it's, and, and as, as it would come in to Laodicea, it would, it would warm up. And, and what, what Jesus is saying, what God wants from these people is he wants them to be a cool, refreshing water, like water that came from Colossae. Their, their, one of their neighbors was from Colossae, and the water was cool, and it, it refreshed. And, and he said, I, I, would, I, would rather you have, I would rather you be like the water from Colossae, refreshing and cold. Quench the thirst, you know? Like Northwest water, Right? Am I the only one? I guess so. Or I'd rather you be hot, like the, the, the medicinal water from, from their neighbor Hierapolis that had some hot springs, and this water had some medicinal properties, and as it came in, it would, it would help with different kinds of ailments. And he says, I would rather you be cold, refreshing. I want your works and your witness to be cold and refreshing, like the water from Colossae, or hot and medicinal like the water from Hierapolis, but instead you're like the water you drink at Laodicea. It's gross. It just sits there. You're neither. You, you just are. You don't do anything, but you, you think you are good because you are wealthy. You think because you're wealthy, you know, we, we've, we've attained a lot of wealth and we've prospered, so we don't need anything, they said. And this has made them Lukewarm Christians, neither cold nor hot. And God says, I would rather you have you one or the other, but not like this water you drink. And it would have been visceral for them. They would have known. Their, their witness and their works were not cold or hot. They were lukewarm because they relied on themselves. They had the wrong self-assessment. They said, we don't need anything. But Jesus said, no, that's not true. You're poor and pitiable and blind. The church and the Christians of that time had the wrong view of themselves. They were wretched, pitiable, naked. Have we become too self-reliant, church, on our riches, our wealth, our comfort? You may ask, well, how would I know if I am? These aren't the only questions you can ask, but you can ask these questions. How many hours a week do you work or think about work? Are you becoming too reliant on a, a good income or your identity in your work has, has, has shown up in the kind of hours you work or, or the way someone critiques your work and, and you respond to it because it's too tied to your personal identity? How would you know if you became lukewarm? Do you find yourself forsaking the assembling of yourselves together for lesser things, habitually, 
frequently? Do you find yourself being stingy in your giving? You know, uh, a generation past believed that 10% was a good starting point for their giving. What, what do we think is a good starting point for our giving? How do we know whether we're, depending on our wealth, whether we're becoming lukewarm, whether we're self-reliant or not? Jesus wants us to bear witness to him by relying on him and not ourself. What is, what is the self-assessment? Is it wrong? Because we value wrong things. Could this be us? Mistaking our wealth as a sign of spirituality. Mistaking self-reliance as the highest virtue. You know, I'm an American. I pull myself up by my bootstraps and I don't need anyone or anything. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. Friends, wealth is not the problem. I I hope that's a relief to you. Having wealth is not the problem, but self-reliance is the thing that God hates and and will vomit out of his mouth. Friends, vomiting is a picture of judgment. In Leviticus 18, when God promised that he would bring the children of Israel into the land, he said, once you're there, do not defile the land by committing sexual immorality or the land will vomit you out, just like it did the nations that were before you. Don't do it. Don't become self-reliant. Don't have a wrong assessment of yourself. Bear witness to Jesus by relying on Jesus and, and not yourself. The question is maybe coming to your mind, what if I am lukewarm? What should I do? If I'm neither cold or hot, what should I do about it? Well, Jesus gives counsel in the next verse. Verse 18, he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined from fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may, be, may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes. So Jesus has three, sort of three points of counsel for these dear friends. And they, all of them relate to um, what made Laodicea self-reliant. God had actually blessed the city of Laodicea. In AD, in AD 60, uh, Laodicea suffered a massive earthquake, and uh, they were so rich that when Nero said, hey, here's some money to help you rebuild, they said, no thanks, we don't need it. We're just fine. We're good. So they rebuilt by themselves and, and had a, a testimony of being reliant on themselves. And, and God says, this has made its way into the church. So how, how can we... How can we get away from being lukewarm by relying on ourselves? How can we get away from that? And he says to buy real gold. So God has a different measure of success for us. It's a different measure than the world has or that we may have thought of in the past. He says that you should buy gold that's refined in fire. The gold refined in fire is pure. It's, it's real gold. He wants them to buy... Uh, wealth that actually will help them. True wealth is defined by God as humility, meekness, sober assessment of oneself as a sinner, repentance. You think of the Sermon on the Mount, how upside down that flips things. The Sermon on the Mount tells us blessed or happy, joyful are those who are humble. Those who mourn, 
Blessed are those who are merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These are the thing, kinds of things that God values. This is true wealth in God's economy. You want to know what it means to, to not rely on yourself, to not be lukewarm, but to rely on Jesus, is to co- cultivate kingdom, the kingdom economy. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. Is this what you value? the upside-down kingdom of God. The spirit of the age wants to redefine all these categories of God, humility, meekness, repentance, humbling ourselves before Jesus. But we are called to buy real gold, true gold, refined gold that Christ counts as true wealth. He tells us, buy gold. Laodicea, I should have said earlier, was a was a banking, uh, you know, it was was a it was a banking hub. Even Cicero recommended that people put their money there. And and I think what Jesus is telling his people is that you made a lot of money off interest and banking, and even people like Cicero would put their money there. But my economy is different. Buy true gold. Laodicea was also a place of textile industry, which, which, which you know, sort of loaded the coffers of Laodicea and, and made them wealthy. They were, it was sort of like the, the garment district in New York, and, you know, they had the best clothes. They, they didn't need fashion advice from the Apostle John, thank you very much. You're on Patmos. Uh, we, we, don't, we don't need your help here. But they were spiritually naked, and and. According to Christ, they needed to be ashamed of it. And, and what he is offering them is pure white garments. Maybe, maybe these represent the, the robes of Christ's righteousness. His, his robes, Christ's robes, will make them unashamed as, as they exchange their, their filthy robes for his, the, the perfect righteousness of Jesus that he won through his perfect obedience in his life. And, and exchange them for uh, his, the death that he took for us. And, and in his robes of pure white righteousness, he will give them to, to cover their shameful nakedness. Friends, these, these people just like us, they were, they were trying to wear clothes of their own making. Right? Like, like sewing fig leaves together to clothe themselves. Just like... Adam and Eve to hide their nakedness, and it wasn't doing the job. It was only accentuating their shame, and the problem wasn't their nakedness, but their sin. Fig leaves can't take care of sin, and neither can our good works. Laodicea's good works. That's accentuating our shame is exactly what our works do. Even the best of our works, like fig leaves, do not cover our shame, but make us more shameful before God. So what does Christ provide? He says, come, buy pure white garments. Clothe yourself. I will clothe you with my, my, my own pure white garments. We must have someone else's clothes, friends. This is what the gospel 
says to us. You you must not present yourself and your sin before God as, as something to win his favor. Only Jesus can win that favor, and he did so by dying on the cross for your sins and rising again. And now the risen Christ speaks through the apostle John and says, here are my robes for you. Take them. And you will start to bear witness to Jesus when you buy true wealth from him and you buy white clothes of Jesus's and you do not rely on yourself. And the third point of counsel he gives to these folks is to buy salve to put on their eyes. Laodicea was also known for its ophthalmology. Try to spell that. They were known, you know, particularly for their expensive eye salves that they would make a lot of money off to, to help with the blindness of the, of the area. They would have known what serious eye disease was, what it looked like, and they would have also known the cure for most eye problems in their region. You know, there, there was a lens crafters on every corner. And Jesus is telling them that though you think you can cure physical blindness in many cases, you cannot cure your own spiritual blindness. They had to purchase this from resources outside themselves. They had to get it from outside themselves. They were not self-reliant. And Jesus wants them to have true wealth, real wealth. He wants them to have clothes so they won't be ashamed. And he wants them to really be able to see. Do you want that? Does this sound like someone who wants the best for his church and loves his church? Or does this sound like someone who is judgmental and authoritarian? Your answer to that question probably reveals where your heart is in relation to Christ. Are you relying on him for your very life? Or are you self-reliant? Jesus is saying, I want the best for you, dear friend. I, I want you to come and, and buy these things from me so that you can really be accepted by me. And they're from me. If you are self-reliant, you will see him as a bully forcing his rules on you. But if you're relying on Jesus, you will see this as a kindness from him. You will, will lay down the tools of, of your life, your work, of trying to win favor with God, and you'll come right to him and and buy these things. And Jesus wants us to bear witness to him, to Jesus, by relying on Jesus and not ourself. So how, how then can we buy these things? How can we purchase these things from Jesus? Notice the turn in verse 19. Christ assures this church of his love. And as, as lukewarm as this church was at Laodicea, he told them this because he loved them. He says, those whom I love, I discipline and, and rebuke. Those, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. This is where his counsel to the church becomes useful to the church. And this turn right here. When, when we start to believe God's hard words are words of love is when his counsel will be useful to us. You know, friends, I, I don't discipline my neighbor's kids. I don't spank my neighbor's kids, right? 
I don't put them in time out or ground them. Why? Because I don't love them like I love my kids. And that's appropriate. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want any other parent disciplining my kids. But my kids don't always believe that this is a form of love for them. My discipline is, a, is, a, is, is, is me expressing my love to them. But that's not going to change how I discipline them. Because they don't always know what's best for them, right? Christ is not going to change how he disciplines his kids either. He knows what is best, better than any parent. And when we understand his hard words to be loving and good for us, then this will turn. Then we'll be zealous and repent. This, this is when we will stop being lukewarm, when we see his counsel as love for us. Come by. Come, come, come to me, all you who need, and I will give it to you. Church, bear witness to Jesus by relying on Jesus and, and not yourself, because this is the Jesus who actually loves you. His counsel to you is for your own good. He created you needy and dependent and, and totally needy of him. This is the turn. When we see God as not a bully or an um, authoritarian, uh, a tyrant, when, when we see him as the one who loves and therefore offers what will truly make us wealthy, clothed, and seen. God does this. And he does it by offering his own son, the son of his love, the perfect one for you. So the, the turn is when we, when we start to see Jesus for who he really is, uh, the one who gives life. And then the entrance in verse 20, the image of Christ standing at the door knocking is often used to encourage people to trust Christ for salvation. And, and that certainly could be an application, but I think the immediate meaning of the image is that Christ is standing outside the church. Excuse me. Remember, his preferred place is among the churches. As the word is preached and believed, he is among his people. He's, he's walking among them as they're bowing their wills to his, as his word is, is submitted to. As they submit their wills to him and bow to him as king, he is fulfilling his, his kingly office. And he's, his priestly office and his, his, prof, his, his prophecy office, that he's protecting, providing, and nurturing them. But he's standing outside the door of this church because they're not bowing to him as king. They are relying on themselves and on their wealth. But the promise to the church is that if they will rely on him and the true wealth that he offers, if they will open the door to him, he will come in and eat with them. He will come and have a meal with them. You know, having a meal with somebody in that day was to approve of that person to put your character at risk by approving their life. This is why Jesus got in so much trouble for going and eating with the, the prostitutes and tax collectors and the, the low lives of the society. And here Jesus is saying, open the door to me. I will come and sup with you, church. 
And here, here's his, his entrance. And Jesus does not wait for us to get our act together or to clean up our lives. He simply asks us to open the door through faith and repentance. And, and he will come into us. He will enter and, and sup with us and, and have a meal with us. He will sit down as wretched and pitiable and poor and blind and naked as we are. He will come and, and clothe us and make us see. Oh, dear friends, if you have never received Christ, you can't be a part of the church that welcomes him in. You, you must receive him. And, and what's true of the church on a large level is true of individuals as well. He, he will, if you receive him through faith and repentance, he will come with you. He will come to you and he will save you and he will give you all the things that you need to be accepted by him. Why do you delay? There, there's no need to. You, you could pray right now in your seat to, to receive him. Confess your sin before him and say, you are my only hope. I, I'm turning to you and you alone. And friends, when a church and, and when a Christian does that, enduringly till the end, repents and believes, repents and believes towards the end, he walks a Christian life, he is the one who conquers this, this is the Christian, this is the entrance into the Christian life, and this is the way you live the Christian life. Faith and repentance all the way to the end. A trust in, in the one who actually conquered through his death and resurrection. And that's what he says in verse 21, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. That is an amazing statement. I have not gotten over it this week. Jesus says the one who conquers. That is the one who, 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 who gets over self-reliance and relies on Jesus alone to the end. I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. On my very throne, just as I conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Now, how did Jesus conquer. He conquered through death. He reigned through his death on the cross. He submitted to his father's will that was to go and die for his, his people. And he died for them. And then he rose again. And he proved himself to be king and conquered. And all those who are in Christ, who trust in him alone, who stop relying on themselves and rely on him alone for salvation, he says, you also will sit on my throne. You will reign with me. He won't just come in and eat with you. You will be on, a th you will be on thrones with him reigning. So how does one conquer? They buy from Christ what they cannot provide for themselves. So how does one buy? Isaiah 55, come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Friends, faith and repentance are two sides of the same coin. 
they are what buy you these things. It's not really currency. You're not, you're not offering anything to God. You're, you're just believing. You're turning to him in, in complete faith and repentance. Dear friends, the one who endures to the end bears witness to Jesus by relying on Jesus and not self. So if, we will not, if, if we're gonna shake out of our lukewarmness as a church or as Christians, this is what he's called us to do. Rely on him, trust in him. Don't, don't say, I have enough wealth, I'm fine. D- don't be like a church that says, um, you know what, Jesus, I'm good. I have everything I need. Let your heart be open to your true need of Jesus. Your, your, your absolute necessity of his work on the cross and resurrection and ascension. And open up your heart to the beauty that he offers it to you freely, without price. Won't you trust him? Won't you rely on him and not yourself? When you do, you will no longer be lukewarm. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Thank you for providing a way out of judgment. You said you would would vomit out those who are lukewarm. We do not want to be lukewarm. Oh God, we come to you desperate, in need for this wealth that we can't afford, for, for these clothes that we cannot buy, for you to make us see. We cannot make us see ourselves. So please help us. I give you a moment to allow, to to pray to God and ask the Holy Spirit to apply these words to your heart.